Welcome to selfdiscoveryradio.com, where the discovery of self has put a show away. With a thousand plus archive shows and new shows coming to you every Tuesday, we bring you illuminating people from around the globe. Visit our store for their services and books and enjoy the show. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, everybody. Welcome back to another edition of For the Love of Music. I'm your host, Sarah Troy, and my guest today is Justin Johnson. I discovered him on Facebook when I saw him playing a shovel like a guitar, and I thought, this can't sound like anything uh, nice, just kind of a, a neat little trick, yet the music that he was playing for it was absolutely awesome. So I had to know more about him and reach out to do an interview with him because of his uniqueness, um, the different ins- instrumentation that he has there. But as I was saying, I had a problem. I was trying to pick a YouTube to, to put on his posting and I was also trying to go to bed and uh, and there an hour later unable to pick any one of them because all of them are absolutely bloody marvelous and uh, get right into your soul and into your spirit and totally speak to you so I know that you're going to be totally stoked by his music but let's discover his journey he's literally performed you know throughout mainland of Australia Tasmania Europe, the United Kingdom coast to coast in North America how does he put these instruments together? Where does he get his ideas from? Um, he has also started a, a school um, called the uh, the Roots Music School. He's the founder of it, and uh, clearly somebody where he's got the music in his soul. This is what he was designed to do, and this is what he shares with us. So, I know you're going to enjoy it. So, welcome to the show, Justin. Hey, great to talk to you. Glad to be on the show. Now, I have to ask you. I mean. A shovel, uh, you know, a spade, whatever anybody wants to call it, wherever they're coming from. How did you make that into a musical instrument? Well, the uh, the guitar that you're talking about, it's uh, it is actually a spade, um, you know, which is similar to a shovel. That's the platform uh, of the guitar. And uh, a friend of mine who I met on the road uh, in 2015. His name's Roger Berry, and uh, when I was touring down in Mississippi in the Mississippi Delta doing a few festivals down there, he came out before one of my shows, and I had met him online previously. He came out and he brought this shovel with three strings and a magnetic pickup, and he basically built a three-string shovel out of, I mean, a, a three-string guitar out of a shovel. And I, at that point, I had already played you know hundreds and hundreds of three string guitars I, I already wrote a book on how to play them uh dvds and that kind of thing so i was familiar with three stringed instruments and uh, three string roots instruments like homemade you know found object instruments so um i right you know a few minutes after he gave me this shovel guitar uh, i was playing it on stage you know i decided to try it and i said well yeah let me let me play it during this show and uh, after that, you know, he gave it to me. I took it on tour, and, and uh, the specific video that you're talking about, I think, um, it was one that I filmed in my backyard in well, last October, and it just took off. It went crazy. Um, I think uh, just about a day or two after I posted it, I only shared it once, and it had about 8 million views online. And uh, a few weeks later, uh, I think right now, actually, um, it has almost 40 million views just in the one place that I, I first shared it. Yeah. And uh, it's one can understand why, because of you know, the music that you get from it. I mean, you know, first, you know, what? What is he playing? And then the music that you get from it is like mind blowing. So you know, it's, it just shows that music really can come from everything, can't it? You know, it don't have to have oh, absolutely. an expensive guitar, although I'm sure they're very nice, but you can make music out of everything. 
Yeah, and when you think of it, you know, I'm a I'm a huge fan of history, and I like to learn a lot and draw a lot from history. And you know, when you think about the first instruments or any instrument you can think of, at some point it never existed. You know, someone had to make it, someone mm-hmm. had to invent it. You take the electric guitar in general, and you have people like Les Paul and Leo Fender. You know, these early uh, innovators who said, you know, there's the acoustic guitar is great, but it can't do this. You know, mm-hmm. how do how do we make it do this using technology or just using whatever's lying around? And people innovate that way. If it becomes successful, then eventually people don't even consider that one day, you know, that that had never existed. And uh, something like the shovel, you know, these these objects like the shovel that people are turning into instruments and putting electric guitar pickups on and electrifying. It's interesting because, you know, there's this um, appeal that people instinctively have, like, well, I've never seen a shovel played before. But then when you hear it, if it's in the right hands and if someone knows how to make it sound like it sound like, it can be amazing how much tone and sustain and voice you can get out of an object like that. If you approach it like a serious instrument, then oftentimes even the most unusual objects, if you make an instrument out of them, can be amazingly beautiful and inspiring. Yeah, case in point, you, you've done one with an oil can. And, you know, right. Uh, you know, and, and I've noticed some other, um, you know, things that you've done there, which I wouldn't even know what they are, you know, but they're not the regular guitar. And um, how you, do you have to string them differently? Um, you know, what is it? I mean, with the oil can, do you, you hollow it out in order to get the sound? I mean, how how do you get the sand out of it? Well, you know, the actual art of building an instrument is very, uh, very similar, whether you're making a conventional or traditional acoustic guitar or electric guitar, or you're making something like uh, an oil can guitar or shovel guitar or something like that. You basically, you know, the first thing struggling is you have to hold that string tension. You know, the guitar can't snap like a mousetrap or something on you. Uh, if, you know, and it will if you don't have enough strength actually holding it together. But then you also want it to be um, able to resonate. You want it to be free enough to resonate from the string vibrations. And it's sort of like a dance between being strong and being resonant. So if it's too strong, it's not resonant and vice versa. And so it doesn't matter what object it is. If you find that right balance, you can get the tone out of something. And something like, you know, like we're talking about a shovel, um, it has a hardwood you know, neck on it, the mm-hmm. actual neck of the shovel. It's uh, very strong. Uh, the tempered seal blade is very resonant. And so it sounds, uh, interestingly enough, even though it's thinner and lighter than a really heavy solid body electric guitar, it sounds a lot like a solid body electric guitar because it has very similar um, resonance, very similar principles like that. And so, uh, you know, a lot of these other objects aren't resonant, but they have, they sound great because they're not resonant. People aren't used to hearing that, you know, Mm -hmm. people have worked for hundreds of years to make things sound better and better and better. And then when you hear something that just sounds kind of nasty, kind of rootsy, that also sounds great if you're playing music that goes with that tone. And a lot of that early Delta blues, that early hill country blues, early gospel, a lot of those, I always call those genres roots music oh yeah <laughs> in general roots music sounds great instruments like that and and i just love those that's why old vintage guitars sound good too sometimes is uh there's just an age and like a chaos to the way they used to make things right. back then because right. they hadn't figured out all the things they, they know now and uh that that's sort of like a wild card it makes it interesting so talking about roots um you know what are your roots i mean is it almost feels like you're probably born with an instrument in your hand. I mean, did you come to it later? Was it something that was there for you? I mean, where did it all start? I've always loved music as long as I can remember. And, um, you know, uh, it wasn't like when I was a little kid, I I just knew I was going to be a professional musician or anything like that. But I always knew there was a passion. And I was always incredibly drawn to music and art in general, whether it's visual art, Uh, musical art you know um, anything really the whole idea of being creative and someone making a statement with something creatively has always appealed to me and I'm just very passionate about that so I think you know when I picked up my first uh, actual guitar it was an obvious connection you know I felt it like this is the instrument for me this is the art form for me Um, 
but before that it, it was just uh, a general love of music and art that then you know kind of got narrowed down into guitar specifically did, did you have any training or was this something just you know self-taught felt taught um, it's a mixture of everything, you know, a mixture of both because I, I did take, you know, basically I learned guitar from anyone and everyone I could find, whether it was a legitimate teacher or someone, you know, at college, or it was something that I just watched someone else do and picked it up or said, you know, I got to watch that from that person until I figure it out. Um, and then, you know, honestly, though, the most important learning, the most important education I've ever gotten was just playing live and just being mm. in front of people and whether it sounds like you want it to or it doesn't you're learning something <laughs> and and there's no better motivation than getting in front of a large group of people and doing something wrong until you get it right because that's what motivates you to want to do it better um, I've played with you know everything from country bands to bluegrass bands reggae bands soul bands and when I first started, I'd play with anybody and everyone I could because I wanted to learn those styles the hard way, which is being on stage and actually learning it in front of people. So I think that was really the best education. Mm, I happen to agree there. Um, you know, what is what is your your soul music? I mean, when you play the blues, you know, I mean, totally, you you absolutely resonate, and it, it feels like there's blues in everything that you do. Is that your root? Absolutely. I really believe that uh, blues music and, uh, you know, roots blues music, early blues music is the, it's like my language musically. Mm -hmm. If uh, You know, if I always use this metaphor when describing this, it's, um, you know, I'm American. If I go and learn another language, I could be fluent in, in another language, but I'm still going to speak with an accent mm -hmm. from where I came from. And I feel like, you know, when I play jazz music, I play it with a blues accent yeah. or when I play reggae music it's with a blues accent so blues is my actual you know language where i came from musically is how i look at that i mean if you think about it i mean blues is that foundational ingredient in everything isn't it you know it's in the jazz it's in um obviously in the motown it's you know it's in uh, a lot of our real grooving music music that you really and utterly can feel there, there is a blues element a blues seeding to it Absolutely. And you no, know, it's it's interesting because, again, you know, when I talk about history and learning, uh, I love to learn about the cultures when I'm touring in other countries, other parts of the world, and dive into those roots, traditions as well. What I generally find is that you're, when you trace any country's music or any culture's music back farther and farther to the past, it becomes more similar. There's almost mm -hmm. like an underlying human language. I think that we all speak musically. Um, a lot of you know, break it down theoretically. It's a lot of pentatonic scales. It's a lot of, you know simpler harmonies, simpler melodies. But there's something intuitive about those styles, those early styles that I think everyone kind of instinctively understands to a degree. And I think blues, you know, American blues music is one of those root styles that really caught on worldwide. Um, but if you go, you know, you research other styles too, you'll find a very similar vibe, I guess, a very similar soul. And there's just something about it. Like you said, blues music, you know, it seems like it's at the heart of all of these yeah. genres. I mean, um, because there is something instinctive in that, yeah. Yeah, I mean, even if it, when you're listening to, to a lot of music, you know, especially African countries, it's kind of based in the drums. Rhythm is in the drums. Mm -hmm. I mean, whether the drums are with their feet or actually with drums, you know, everything is that boom, you know. And But still the rhythm in there, the beat in there, it's all kind of really very earthy and very soul depth, you know. it's They're not singing from the head, you <laughs> know. It's the singing from the very root. Uh, and the very soul of our being, isn't it? And you can really tell when that music uh, comes into play, w whether it is traditional or whether it's brought into more mainstream music. Yeah, yeah, the, the vibe, you know, and that's the honesty, I think, too, when you just, you kind of forget about what you're doing and you just let yourself breathe musically and you let yourself out there in a completely subconscious and honest way. And I think that's when the music really is at its best. What would you say for you? I mean, are you a disciplined performer? You know, you can get out and play the same 
number over and over again the same way or are you a jammer do you prefer to just kind of get out there along with some other music musicians and just let the wind take you where you need to go well i'm i'm usually on the jamming side of that i like to do things differently uh you know every time i play a certain song there's always going to be something different about it there's a lot of improvisation in my music generally and uh I love the fire that comes from, you know, this is the moment, this this song was the best this day, you know, when you get done with a song, maybe you've played it a uh, hundred times before, or maybe this is the first time you played it, and it just feels like that was the best I've ever played that song, and that's what happens, I think, when you, when you leave those things open for interpretation, when you allow yourself to play things differently, um, but then again, there are some genres and some songs that really to do that song the best you have to try to play it the same way but play it as good as possible you know put it as much emotion into the inflections as possible and I like a lot of classical music is that way and you wouldn't want to mess with that with certain genres right. because that is one of the characteristics of those genres that makes them amazing and you know a whole symphony also couldn't play together if everyone was making up their right. own parts. <laughs> yeah so uh you have to kind of think about, you know, like, for example, the album I'm working on right now is my first full band album that I've done. Um, you know, I'm, I'm playing with drummers, bass players, keyboardists, horn players, you know, vocalists, all these different musicians. And um, I have to let them know what I want them to play. So it's up to me to say, am I going to give them a sheet of music and say, you have to play this note by note? Or am I going to listen to the musician and say, this is what they, they sound like and they feel like? And, you know, how much guidance do I need to give this music in order to get the part that I need out of them to come through? And that's generally, that comes down to feeling and listening and just trusting your instinct on what sounds the most compelling and whether it's going to be a better song if everyone plays the same part or if everyone's kind of loose and feels it out and has right. a good time with it. Well, I mean, a lot, of, a lot of it comes to your audience, doesn't it? I mean, you can have the basic structure of a song there, but the depending on your audience is going to be how you're going to deliver it that night. And you may find that there's a particular mm -hmm. second you want to stretch out because the audience is so into it. And so you've really got to have a really good synergy with your group. Um, with your band to know when you know like just go for it go for it on the drums go for it on the guitar just you know the audience is loving it you know extend it and you know not be put out by that you know be able to kind of read the audience and what they want and if you've got that kind of synergy then it really makes for a very cohesive band I love that feeling too the, the feeling you're just being of um you know when the moment's right, and if you're if you're playing with the right people and the energy is right between the audience and the stage, then um, it's almost uh, effortless. It's almost like everyone knows exactly what to do, and you never come about it. You never said we're going to do this at this point. It just happens. It's it's really a a language. You know, mm -hmm. music gets compared to language so often, but I really think it's sort of like the subconscious human language that we all speak. Did you ever see the movie August Rush? No, I haven't. Oh, my goodness. You've got to see that. A, the guitar playing. You have to see that. Uh -uh. But also the story, you know, it's about an orphan who believes his parents are still out there, but both the parents don't know that the child is still alive um, and so don't know of his existence. And so he, he escapes, but he is a prodigy and ends up in, you know, a musical school um, where he literally makes music out of, anything he hears you know he hears the cars going by the doors shutting you know the the subway underneath and everything becomes to him you know part of the music and it's i think if you really are a true musician you really do hear the music in everything around you don't you you know it kind of becomes a part of it absolutely and I, there's an exercise we call it an exercise or meditation whatever you want to call it but I think it's a great thing to do. Um, I try to do it at least once a day where um, I'll just, it doesn't have to quiet out. It doesn't have to be, you know, any specific conditions, but if you just um, stop what you're doing and listen to as many sounds as possible and you just keep trying to listen for more sounds, you know, and if, you know, like right here where I'm, sitting uh looking out the window i can hear the the cars in the distance i can hear sounds inside the house you 
you realize that, you know, you've been listening to the air conditioner uh, for an hour and you never even realized it, or maybe some sound in the other room that you didn't realize was going on and you start to hear the animals outside, you start to hear, you know, water or something like that. And you realize, you know, I'm hearing these things all the time and you, you just kind of drown them out. You know, you, you don't pay any attention to them consciously, but you're organizing all of these sounds in your mind all the time. And, uh, it's the same thing with mixing music. I think about that a lot. Like right now for this album, we're in the mixing phase where we've recorded the entire album, but now we need to assign, uh, you know, basically levels for every instrument, every drum, every part of every song um, in order to make it the experience of listening to it sound natural. So if you study nature, then you can learn, even though I'm not listening to music right now, I can learn from my surroundings what natural mixing is, you know, sounds like and how things sound natural in a given space. You'll love the movie August Rush. I highly recommend you see it. Um, yeah, I'm going to have to check that out. It's got Robin Williams in it as well. Um, but it really, it's, it's an older movie, 2007 or something, but I highly recommend it. I think you're going to get a good kick out of it. Um, do you, when you record, have the whole band together or is it separate? It's a combination of both. Um my last two albums, uh, they might sound like full band albums, but I played all the parts myself on them. Wow. So, you know, there might be six instruments on a song, but I played every one, one at a time, and then recorded the next one and the next one and the next one. So for albums like that that I do entirely on my own, I'll, of course, overdub every part and I'll play each part separately. But with this album, uh, Driving It Down, the one um, that I'm working on finalizing right now, it's a combination of both. Uh, so because we had uh, musicians, I'm, I'm here in Nashville right now in Tennessee where I live. And so there's such great pools of talent around here uh, music-wise. I wanted to really, um, you know, have a, have fun and get into the art of choosing the right people for the right parts in a band for an album. And um, so this time the whole band would come in and I'd say, okay, I want guitar, keyboard, drums, bass, uh, maybe electric bass on this and then maybe percussion and then maybe some organ as well as acoustic piano. And so, you know, you start fleshing the arrangement out in your mind and then for the actual recording, it might just be the first drum part, me playing guitar, a rhythm guitar, the bass and the organ. And then we, after that, we'll listen to it and say, okay, it needs percussion here. Okay, it needs a little extra piano over here maybe we need to take this part out for this section. So you can always, you know, if you work with a good engineer and a good studio, even if you record everything live altogether, you can take parts out and move things around to build an ultimate studio mix, you know, an ultimate, this is the arrangement from the studio. But sometimes with, uh, you know, especially with talented musicians who have a lot of other things going on, you can always get everyone together at the same time. So, it's, you know, with certain people on the album, it's like, well, I'm excited to work with this person. They want to be on the album, but they can only do it this one day. So we're going to have to record all the other parts and then leave room for their parts. So you also have to be able to, I guess when you're recording it, you have to be able to imagine what their part would sound like in order to leave room for it. So you're not stepping on their toes later in the composition. Yeah, I recently had uh, um, Gerald Albright, a saxophonist. Um, who's been around for you know over 30 years and played for some of the greats and you know there's something about like a saxophone too it's kind of well, I call it the saxophone it's kind of the sexy instrument you know that really can can really kind of bring out that kind of mood the physical mood um, out of a out of an instrument are there any particular um, instruments or players that you really like to play with that you find very complementary to your style you mean instruments or players yeah, instruments, in general? You know, it would, well, players in, in general or drummers or piano. I mean, you, what would you like to accompany you? And, uh, and yeah, are, are there any people out there that you really, you know, get grooving with? Well, you know, I, I kind of uh, like to meet any artist that I put, perform with. I like to meet them in the middle. So, you know, a good artist will always um, try to make sure no matter what they're doing, they're listening to you also. So if I like to play with people who can listen as much as they can play on their own. So, um, and that's what I really loved about the, the band that 
I've got on my Driving It Down album that we hand-selected for this album. Um, you know, the the drummer is always, his name's Rick Leno, he's always on tempo. He's not throwing so much in on drums that he ends up getting off or that people can't follow him or that it's too messy or you know what I mean? His tempo is rock solid. He comes up with the best drum part for that genre, whatever the genre is. Uh, Mark Winchester, the bass player that uh, I've been uh, hiring for this album, playing with. Um, he used to play in a Brian Setzer orchestra. He's great at both um, electric bass and upright bass, but he slaps the upright bass um, as good as just about anybody on earth that I've ever seen. And uh, it's just amazing to watch him do that. So, you know, with him, knowing that he was on board for the album, I purposely arranged some parts for him to really shine on and for us to kind of go back and forth rhythmically. And, uh, you know, so it's it's like that where you, you pick certain members and when you're playing with a, a member that you know has a strength with one thing, I think it's the most enjoyable and the most rewarding for the listener to meet him. So you get, you know, the best of what I can do and you get the best of what the other person can do. And if you have a band where everyone's sharing like that, mm -hmm. then it just becomes a sound, you know? So you have bands like, you know, like the Grateful Dead always worked as a, as a band. So, you know, even if they hit wrong notes or sang out a key or did this and that, they were all there for each other supporting this huge sound that came out. And I think that's what makes bands like that so resonant with the audience. Do you ever have any uh, singers performing with you? Yeah, absolutely. Um, me personally, I mean, a lot of the a lot of the performances, videos you'll see online from me um, are instrumental. But uh, this album I'm working on now actually has, I think, four or five songs at least with vocals on them. Um, different musicians that I've enjoyed. You know, I, it, it, the voices to me is just another instrument, yes. and so I like to pick you know, vocalists the same way I like to choose what instruments and what instrumentalists are going to be on the album. And I've got a great singer, Bill Miller, who's going to be on several tracks. Uh, John Carter Cash, who is the son of June, uh, June Carter and mm -hmm. Johnny Cash. He's singing on the uh, album. He was actually the producer of my last album. And uh, his wife, Anna Christina Cash, is also singing on the album. So I've got several singers on this album. Um, it's quite interesting um, lately, you know, for, for the love of music genre, when I've been looking for musicians. You know, some are sent to me, um, but some, I've, you know, I found the music and I really like them and I reach out to interview them. And so many of them um, are in Nashville and they may not be pure country artists. You know, it could be country blues, country rock, or, or just straight blues and jazz. With you know, um, But Nashville seems to be the hub for not just country music, but for all musicians. Oh, absolutely. It really is. You know, they call it Music City. Mm -hmm. And for the size of this city, which, you know, it's, it's, a, you know, it's a major city, but it's small in comparison to places like New York or L.A. Um, but it has the entertainment, you know, flowing through it uh so many uh, musicians live in nashville or have homes in nashville have studios in nashville record in nashville their publishers in nashville or their you know what i mean the mm -hmm. record pressing plants in nashville i'm you know the people you're looking for if you want to collaborate with people or if you're just a music fan and you want to see someone live if you're in nashville or you see them in nashville a lot of times you can catch them in venues they normally wouldn't play you know it might be smaller more intimate and you'll just be able to see them more often as well and have the opportunity to work them, with them more often and um well uh bootsy collins for example who's another uh, one of my heroes you know invented funk bass pretty much as, far as i'm concerned um he's also going to be singing on my album my new album and uh when we started talking and i told him i was here in nashville he's in cincinnati is where he lives but he comes through nashville all the time and again that's a, you know most musicians who tour a lot are always coming through nashville and that's just one of the things i love about it yeah uh, yeah it's actually uh, the person who um, my intro music is a, a lady called danae um, and uh, she's actually in Nashville as well. And when I interviewed her, she allowed me to have her song um, uh, New Directions, which I thought was a great you know, music for the show as we're called Self-Discovery Radio. Um, so she allowed me to have that music for, you know, as my intro, which is great. Um, and, you know, she said she was drawn to Nashville because also the support there that you don't kind of get lost. 
you know, um, and that there's so much support in the community there. Absolutely. There's a huge art scene. They support art, film, music, um, you know, create those creative artistic uh, mediums. They, they just love them here and they support them. People go out to shows. You know, there's there's a ton of music venues and people love going to them. It's just a great place to be as an artist. Mm-hmm. One of the things I love is... Um, I, I watch The Voice because I really love the way they choose and mentor performers. And, uh, you know, it's not, there is the competitive side of things, of course, but it's really that watching somebody grow, even if they've been in the music scene for a long time, the kind of confidence, the feeling they're not going anywhere. And then, you know, on the show, it's, it's through that mentoring and that watering and redirecting, you know, they suddenly, you know, find their voice and find their, themselves again. But the band there is just exceptional. And when you get a performer that performs with a band, it, you know, that it, they're all musical instruments at that point. You know, it isn't just the singer backed by the band. You know, that singer is a part of the band and you get the whole experience. It's very, very different, isn't it? When you when the singer is that musical instrument in the band as opposed to just the band backing the singer. Oh, yeah, absolutely. There's there's a difference in the way it feels when you perform it. There's a difference in the way it comes across. Um, and, you know, there's just a lot being, I think, with music, there's so much going on under the actual surface. There's a lot of subconscious emotion being conveyed. And, um, you know, it has to, I think that subconscious emotion has to sync up with the conscious feel of the song. And when you have the two in sync is when you really get those goosebump moments. Um and, you know, there have been a lot of bands that didn't get along and have been really successful. And I think for, for some bands, you know, especially um, heavier bands or, you know, rock and roll bands, more aggressive sounds, sometimes the fact that they all hate each other makes the music better <laughs> because they put that into the music. Yeah. But, you know, I've seen a lot of bands and, and been in some bands where that doesn't work. And I think it's because that doesn't go with the music and that does go with the vibe of the personalities involved. And so I think... Um, like you're saying, when there's a, you know, whether it's a singer or whether it's a lead instrumentalist or whatever, the, the person who's kind of putting that melody out there, if they have a background uh, foundation that's there to put them and that's there to move around them and move with them, that's when the magic really happens. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I can't play an instrument. I can't read a note. Um, but I used to be a dancer. And, you know, music is, to me is, you know, right, if I need an escape, I'll listen to music and I'm dancing in my mind. My spirit is out there completely. I'm singing. I'm the perfect singer and dancer in my spirit. Um, and there's something about music that sets you free. It's so healing. It's so uplifting. It's, it speaks to you. I mean, you could have a dozen people listening to the same song and each one of them has got a different feeling and has, has learned something different from it. Um it's it's really part of our oxygen, isn't it? Absolutely. I think it's just like your heartbeat, you know, that has that natural rhythm that you're not even aware of, but, you know, you'd, you'd be nothing without it. And I, I think there's just something that people tap into when they hear a rhythm or a melody or, you know, an authentic, honest expression artistically in the form of music. It just captures you in a way that nothing else can. Right. Well, this is, you know, one of the sad things that we're seeing you know, is so many um, musical, um, you know, music being cut out of schools, which I think is a real big mistake because I think it's um, not only a wonderful, it become, it, that is that person's expression. It is that language. I think it's a great discovery for people. I think it's a wonderful way of uniting and it's sad to see that happen. But uh, you're a founder of a school called Roots Music School. So tell us how that came about. Well, that came about um, from touring, you know, when I was, uh, I guess, probably a couple years into full-time, my fiance Nikki and I actually at one point sold everything we owned and moved full-time onto the road, so we, you know, we didn't even have an address, we were just constantly on show to the other living on the road in a small RV, and uh, it was about two years of the process that, you know, so many people were enjoying what we did, but they wanted to learn how to do it. You know, they wanted to learn either about what I was doing on guitar or about the history and about the culture that I without it shows and where the music came from. Where do you, when, you know, where do you learn to do something yeah. like that? Where do you learn to play a three 
string shovel guitar, you know? Mm-hmm. And uh, so it started with me just posting a few lessons or posting a few videos explaining some of my songs when people would write in and ask me. And, um, you know, each one I put up led to more and more and more discussion, more questions, more interest. And I love the, you know, little culture that that started building around those. And I wanted to you know, help give people more that seemed to be making people happy. And that's what it eventually it grew into uh, rootsmusicschool.com, uh, into my DVD series, book series. And um, also I've worked with several schools to, you know, like what you're saying, you know, when music departments get cut in schools, it leaves a huge hole in, you know, what these students, what these children should be learning at that point in their life. Um, and so I worked with a few teachers, one particular uh, in Oregon, I worked with a teacher named Nick Chrissy, and uh, we not only uh, actually went out there and taught them for a week, but we not only taught them how to play Roots instruments, these little three-string guitars we, we taught them how to make, but they actually made them themselves. So they, they made 150 guitars from scratch, mm. and then uh, by the end of the week, we were all playing together on them. And what it teaches you, and, and you know, it teaches you not music, but it teaches you math. It teaches you science, engineering. It teaches you history. Um, when I was traveling to go out to Oregon, I was in Memphis at the time, and we went down Route 66. And uh, every everywhere we went, every day, we'd tell the students at the school where we were. So they even geography from that experience together. I, I mean, it's a you know the key on. is that's how people learn, isn't what's it? That? Hands on. You know, it, you can have so much theory, but unless you get into it, you know, the tactile, the touch, the hearing, the feeling, the, the participation, you don't truly actually understand until you immerse yourself in it fully and mm-hmm. completely. And so, you know, the getting stuck behind a desk and just learning theory isn't the same as, as you said, making the instrument, discovering what that instrument can do, uh, the pride in it, you know, um, so much absolutely I mean how many musicians have you seeded here that we're going to be hearing about in the future exactly and you know what what I learned and really took that particular experience too is um on a I guess a scientific level you know children at that age this was fifth grade and um if they don't learn at a certain point that they can work their own you know, if they want something and can't buy it or can't ask their parents for it, they can learn at that age that they can build something and then they'll have it. And it's it's one of those things that if they don't use, I think, neurologically, it stops being important. Yeah. You know, it stops being developed. And so if you can develop that, the understanding of the concept that you can do, you can make your life the way you want it to be, then uh, if they learn that from a guitar, that's an experience that's going to serve them through their whole life life musically and non-musically because they know they can work for something and I could tell you know the students when they actually played their first actual song and it sounded like music they just had this look on their face Mm -hmm. that was so excited it was like it was like they just saw a magic trick but they did magic trick themselves they discovered the magic uh, within them exactly it was really really special I think you know, yeah, that's what Roots Music School is all about. I just want to give that feeling to as many people yeah. as possible and, and help people share that as well. Yeah, a, a beautiful gift, a beautiful gift to resonate. And, of course, you know, it, it doesn't have to be you being there. It's kind of um, they can get the DVDs and the books and everything else and, and, uh, and do it wherever they are so they're not caught by the demographics if they're not around where you are. Exactly. Right. And this is kind of the way a lot of learning is going now. We're realizing... The mainstream curriculums are not paying attention, and so you know we're getting all of these kind of virtual schools, and uh, and it's reaching people um, and uh, allowing more people actually to make that discovery, you know what they need to discover. So, and again, when you're talking about making a, a guitar out of an oil can or you know a shovel, and a few other things that you've made that are out of it, just shows anything is possible. You don't have to say well, I need the five thousand guitar or I can't play. You know. If you've mm-hmm. got that ingenuity, that innovation, you, you can make it out of anything. Exactly. Exactly. So we need more of that. Most certainly we need more of that. Now, there was another instrument you're playing, and God knows what it is. It was beautifully carved wood. 
um, oval looking with one string. What is that? I think the one that um, it's it's not actually carved wood; it's ceramic. Oh, and um, so it's yeah, that one was sent um, sent to me from Ireland by a, a amazing artist named Andrew Cook, and um, he's a, he's actually sent me a couple of those, and he makes them all out of found objects around his property. He um, the body it looks like carved wood, but mm -hmm. it's actually um, you know sculpted uh, ceramic that he then fires, and then it becomes hard and resonant. He hand wires his own uh, electric guitar pickup, so every part of it, even the electronics, are you know made out of salvaged parts and, and put together in a very natural, rootsy way. But when you look at it when it's done, it, it just looks like a piece of artwork. Yeah. It looks like a sculpture. You're not quite sure what to do with it. You just see this one string on it, uh, one or two strings. But then you know when you hear it, when you plug it in and you play it with a guitar slide, it just has this voice. Yeah, it I sounds, know. I mean, it sounds like a human voice when you play it. That's the thing I think it sounds most like. And I've got several videos performing uh, blues songs with that. It's called a one string diddly bow. That's a traditional American term for a one string roots instrument. Um, and I know the sound and, was amazing. I mean, and just mind blowing because it's like you can get all that sound. I had to look, I had to really kind of really look. That, that's the only one string there. How is he getting all that sound out of that? Exactly, and that's the key to the one-string diddly bow, and that's why so many great blues legends started on the one-string diddly bow, is because when you learn one string, when you learn how to play a song with one string, with no frets, just one string and a slide, um, then you learn how to get music out of the least amount possible, basically, as far as a stringed instrument's concerned. And once you do that, you know, if you can do that, play that diddly bow with your eyes closed, if you pick up a two string or a three string or a four string or five string or six string, you know, and so on, it just becomes a simpler concept. You know, you know, I could play any one of these strings. I could play a song on any one of these strings by itself. But when you add new strings, you add harmony to that melody and you add depth to it. And so there's just this, ma it's like a magical power you get basically from learning the one string diddly bow when it comes to guitars that informs things and makes you play completely differently after you after you really master it. So when you pick up an instrument, um, is it I'm going to play this song or, do, or you just fiddle around with it and let the song come from it? I always, uh, unless I'm forming and I already know what song I'm going to play, uh, I always let the instrument guide the direction of the mm -hmm. song. I, I really feel a close bond with whatever instrument I'm playing. And some of the videos you see online of me performing or if you see me perform live with a new instrument, it's almost always an improvisation that is guided by the tone and the feel and the, the re you know, it's almost like a, a dance so between me and the instrument. Some, sometimes I'll play it once and I'll retune it and I'll realize this instrument sounds much better in this tuning or with this type of, you know, string tension or through this type of amp or maybe this one's sounds better with the slide and this one sounds better fretted well there's one you've got uh, when my uh, guitar gently weeps uh, performed on a, a vintage oil can guitar and you know that is uh, and you've you've changed the tempo on it and and it's just it, you know it's this it's so soothing that yeah and that was another song you know i've i've played that song uh, you know only a few times before i played that video and uh, something about that guitar, though, it just felt like I need to play a guitar song with this. You know, mm -hmm. I need to play, and, and some of my favorite songs to do instrumental versions of are Beatles songs because they have such great melodies. And um, you can recognize the song even without hearing the lyrics. Yeah, definitely. Something about that, the, the way that the notes held out on that instrument mm -hmm. with the oil can um, getting picked up, just like the strings, the oil can gets picked up by that electric guitar pickup so you can actually hear the can which you can't hear with you know wooden guitars mm -hmm. and so there was something about the percussive of that can with it it sounded kind of like the drums were in there even though they weren't and the tone of the pickup was great nice full and rich and yeah you know i play on something for a few minutes and then um it's like i gotta record this get the camera <laughs> you know or something <laughs> like that yeah Have something good's gonna Have happen i don't know what it is mm -hmm. yeah <laughs> So basically, as you're playing, 
we're kind of discovering with you, you know, because you're, you're, you know, uh, investigating and exploring what the sound is and the kind of the camera is and you and kind of exploring it with you, which is really cool. Absolutely. Absolutely. And a lot of times, you know, when you see a video that, that instrument will have written that song. Like, I don't know how many times I've performed an improvisation. And then a lot of people said, I really like that song. And then it ends up on an album because, because of that back and forth with the fans online, because they showed an interest in a certain song. And um, otherwise I might not have ever played that song. If it hadn't been recorded, I definitely wouldn't have remembered it a lot of times. Right. You know? But, but uh, there's something about that chemistry that between me between uh, Nikki, who's always behind the camera and she's capturing it, and then by, uh, between the, us and the fans who give us feedback on what they want to hear more of and and uh, what they love the most. Are you one of these people that you'll be so caught up in the moment of making a song and then it's done, and if you haven't recorded it, you couldn't duplicate it? Well, you know, there's there's some things that just happen like lightning striking, and, and certain things are hard to relate Um I think a technique is is generally easier to replicate the feel or mm-hmm. vibe, and that's the elusive part. Is you know, um, in the studio when you're really under the microscope, you could play a song you know five or ten times, and you know you take that one take at the beginning and you say that well that felt good, but let's get better, and then you play it again and again and again and again and again, and by the end of it it doesn't even sound good anymore. It hardly even sounds like that first take. And you listen back and say, let's go with the first take. We got it right the first time. Uh, But um, I think what happens is your techniques are getting better, but the feel is getting worse because it becomes automated, I guess you could say. Yeah. And uh, overdone. That's the elusive part. Yeah. 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 You know, overthought, Mm -hmm. you you can't think too much, especially if you're improvising. You you really can't think. It's it's all about practicing and then forgetting everything you know while you're actually performing. Yeah. Now, I have to talk about the look because I'm a 70s chick. Um, I was the the hippie chic um, in my time. And your look is is very much a throwback to the 70s. Is this just something that is just your aesthetic? This is just you? Um, Is there any consciousness behind it? Well, you know, a lot of times if if I'm uh, getting, you know, clothes or hat or jewelry or something like that, it's generally me and and my fiance, Nikki. We we love to do everything together, and shopping is one of those things. So, you know... um, I think we we always like to think about the people that we love. You know, I love I love musicians like it's not just about the music, but it's about the the way that they uh, are always just being creative. You know, we love to be creative with our clothes and with our look, just like we like to be creative with music. And it's it's another you know thing that we consider as a very much a form of expression, and it's also very authentic. It's very personal to us. Very much your presence. And, uh, it's like the whole package. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. People kind of visually take in first before they're life's listen. all about. That's definitely what music's all about, you know. And yeah. entertainment's all about it. <laughs> definitely. Um, if there was a person, a living or dead, that you could play with you know, on your bucket list that you haven't played with yet, who would it be? Well, you know, there's there's three guitar players that I've I've always felt like these are my three biggest influences, and it's. Uh, Jimi Hendrix on electric guitar, uh, Django Reinhardt, uh, and Doc Watson on acoustic guitar. Mm-hmm. And I've seen Doc Watson a couple times live, but I've never uh, never seen Jimi Hendrix or Django Reinhardt in person. Yeah. So either of those two, uh, I, it would just be it would be amazing to actually see how they do things in person. You know, I, I would love to have the chance to have seen those players or talk to them or of course played with them um and i feel like one of those like you know as a guitar player i'm always looking at other guitar players and thinking if it's something i like you know how are they doing that or how's that how's that effect being created so you know in that particular way and you can answer so many of those questions by seeing people and you actually uh with personalities you know too like Jimi hendrix i would love to just see his personality in person i would love to see how he carries himself and how he plays guitar um, just because he's a role model. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, there, there are some people, and I think we can put you in this category, uh, you don't play music, you are the music. Um, you know, it is 
it's your language, it's your expression, um, it's uh, your pouring of energy. Um, so, you know, it's uh, sometimes you do musicians and they're not nearly as articulate as their music. You know, they are only their music and they're not very good communicative in other ways. Um, you speak your music in a very articulate way as well as play it. Um, so you know the people that are performing for performance sake and the people that are the performance, if you know what mm -hmm. I mean. Absolutely, I, I do. And there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of both out there, <laughs> you know, a yeah. lot of people that are in between. And, uh, you know, I've I've talked a lot about music and thought a lot about music. And, you know, I guess one of the things is with, with teaching, too, when you're teaching someone how to play music, it has so much to do with how you're able to describe what you're talking about. It has less to do with your ability because there are a lot of great people who can't teach music or can't communicate music as well but then when you listen to them it's amazing you know it's just a free-flowing stream of consciousness kind of thing mm -hmm. so um, I think it's really important though especially for teaching and for conveying those messages and the, the philosophy behind it uh, that you know it's important to be articulate about that kind of thing because it's a very personal thing yeah you know I think we're all given a gift you know and it's uh some people spend a lifetime trying to find out what that gift is in life, you know, because um, they've lived by other people's expectation. Um, but one thing I do find with people in the arts, whether a person's a writer or an actor or an artist or a musician, um, it doesn't matter what you've done, you will always be that artist. It is who you are uh, in your wholeness and completeness. And you couldn't be anything else other than be what you are, in your case, the musician absolutely and i think you know a lot of times if you if you try to be something else you won't be happy and you'll be reaching back for that thing that you you denied in that sense um but yeah i've always you know and again i've always loved music but it was that moment really of playing the guitar uh, for the first time that i thought you know it felt different than playing the piano or the trumpet or the trombone or any of the other instruments that I had already played up at that point, it just was like, this one made for me, you know, the, the guitar is the thing that it feels like the thing that I can express myself on. It's your language. You have a communication Absolutely. with it. So you but not only, uh, you know, you have a good conversation with it, you're willing to learn a new language from it. Because every time you pick up a different type of instrument, uh, it's, a new, it's a new variation of a language, isn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's, it totally is. It's like a new throat. You know, you're speaking the, uh, the same with a new throat with mm -hmm. every instrument you pick up and you have to learn how to use it and you have to learn its strengths and its weaknesses and figure out how to convey that story that's trapped inside that instrument, that song. Has there been anything that's just been a little totally bizarre, you know, that you've been asked to play and you go, you know, this is just too, too peculiar? but it surprised <laughs> you <laughs> well you know that's out of, out of all the instruments i've played i probably have a, a hundred or more stories like that that, <laughs> would in that category um yes uh, i've played a lot of very very unusual instruments some of which are almost uh you know dangerous to play i've had this I, i've had to like, kind of child proof some of the instruments that have been given to me over the years and uh what's other the weirdest then you know share it share well, those uh, weird dangerous ones there was one, and I still play it uh, quite a bit, especially live. Uh, was a an upright bass guitar that was built for me. It was it's all metal, and it was welded together. Out of, um, different parts of the chassis of a truck and <laughs> bicycles, and so it's it's huge, and I, I think it weighs pounds. Uh, uh, and it's uh, and the wheel actually the the wheel is the body of it. And it actually spins, so it's very hard to control. And uh, the first show, uh, again, this was a, build, a, a guitar builder who came out to one of my shows, and, and he gave this instrument to me right before the show and asked if I could play it. And I played an up, you know, four-string electrified upright truck chassis bicycle <laughs> guitar. And so I, I put it on stage, and uh, about halfway through the the first set it started rolling off stage <laughs> and I had, to, I had to go get it and uh 
after that, I, I figured out I needed to, I ended up duct taping the, the tire uh, to, to where it stopped the moving and found a way to secure it. But, um, you know, again, it, it sounds amazing. It sounds like a tank, too. Such a strong presence. And we, with the bass, you want that a lot of times. And, uh, again, it sounds amazing, but it's one of those instruments that at first it, it just takes you a little while to figure out how you're going to approach this thing because it's so <laughs> different it's so than a conventional instrument. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, the instruments have characters of themselves, don't they? They're, they are a character, each instrument that you have. Yes, absolutely. And, you know, I love, I love classic instruments and conventional instruments just as much as roots instruments. And so, you know, the nicer they are, on my last album, If Walls Could Talk, um, I played some of the nicest acoustic and electric instruments out there, you know, 59 Les Paul uh, Sunburst, which, you know, is some of the, one of the most expensive or one of the most valuable instruments you can buy today, electric guitars at least. And it just sounds so good. You know, there's, there's like a classic nature to the sound or an old, you know, 50s, early 50s Telecaster mm-hmm. or something like that, an old lore mandolin, given a mandolin from the 20s. And, you know, these are sounds that have become part of almost like human society now because these are the, you know, basically kind of considered the best versions of the tone, you know, like a Les Paul tone. All that 59 Les Paul tone is, is classic. Same with these other ones I'm talking about. Um, and so I crave those tones just as much as I do the unusual tones that you get from something like a shovel guitar or a, a bicycle upright bass. <laughs> Yeah. But the art is, is how to put those together artfully and, and make those statements to say, you know, there is a place for this instrument in the mainstream sound, in the in the sound of the world, you know. Um, and it just has to be stated in order for people to understand that. It has to be put out there in the right way. How many instruments do you actually have? Do you know? I think over the um, – I've got a, a storage facility and here in Nashville um, completely full of instruments and then I've got another one in Carolina full of instruments um, and over the years in touring and, and people um, giving giving me instruments to play and record with and showcase with uh, I'd say I probably have at least 300 over 300 at this point stringed instruments and do you go back and kind of recycle them like a, okay I'm going to play you set of instruments for a while now kind of bring them out of the out of the story. Oh, absolutely. And uh, yeah, just about every every time we uh, go by the storage facility, I switch a few out and um, dust off some old ones that I haven't played in a while. And every time you get new songs, you mm. get new inspiration, and and it's just fun. You know, they're all different. They're just like old friends you haven't seen in a while. Yeah, exactly. When is uh, driving it down coming out, and are you going to be going on tour? Well, I'll be uh, releasing the album. It's slated for a March release. So like I said, we're just finishing up the final mixing right now. And then it'll be about three weeks to a month. Uh, hopefully after that, we'll be able to you know, release the release date <laughs> uh, for sure. And then uh, after that, I, I am going to be uh, touring throughout 2017. And you can check out my tour schedule at Just Justin Live. And uh, that's got all the tour dates there. We're adding more, you know, uh, as they get booked. And uh, so you can always check the calendar there. And, and will, then uh, after that, though, we're going to be... Oh, go ahead. No, no, I was just going to ask if uh, the Dragon Down, will there be a pre-order up on uh, Justin um, JustinJohnsonLive.com? Will you have a, a pre-order sh- sh- uh, link there? Yes, definitely. As soon as we know the release, then we'll make it available for pre-order and we'll let everyone know exactly when it's going to hit the streets and when we're going to be sending it out. Excellent. And I'm really excited. It's going to be a double album. It's going to be all, you know, uh, kind of upbeat, high-octane blues. Uh, just really looking forward to getting this out there. I've been listening to it for months now as I've been recording it, and so I know every note of it, but mm-hmm. I can't wait till other people get to hear it. I, you know? can't, I can't wait to hear it myself either, most certainly. Um, you know, as I said, you know, I, I went to go and pick a couple of YouTubes just to put up on the posting, and then I just... I, you know, I got lost, you know, like it's an hour later, you should be in bed, Sarah, and they're, you know, I'm still listening to the music, <laughs> you know, you took me off on a trip, and, uh, um, and you know, there is a fundamental rhythm and groove to you that's, that's, 
that carries through everything, but you've also got such different kind of diversity through your songs. But it's like your thread of who you are is in everything that you do, no matter what you play. Absolutely. And uh, always what I'm trying to convey is that genuine expression. You know, whatever you, whatever you hear from me, it might be, uh, you know, any genre you can imagine, but it's, it's going to have that core, you know, Justin Johnson, because I just, I just want to put myself into it and make it as honest and authentic as I can. And of course, you have the uh, rootmusicschool.com and also rootmusicschool.org. Uh, one is a blog and one is the site? Yes, exactly. Like dot org and is they're the both blog. linked together and okay. they, both, they both have lessons and uh, video links, all of that. Uh, so if you go to one, you'll find the other eventually. <laughs> right. And I think this is, you know, a great gift to, gi- to give a youngster, you know, who you know is taking that musical path. Um, you know, great gift to sign them up for this and let them kind of explore. Um, and, and, you know, you can't make a musician, but what you can do is guide and nurture a musician. But you have to let them discover their music themselves. You? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's hard to force people to be interested in something. Usually forcing someone to be interested in something is the best way to make them hate it. But from yeah. what I've seen. <laughs> Absolutely. So uh, you and your fiancé, um, have you written her a love song yet? Oh, yeah, every one I've ever played. <laughs> <laughs> Good answer. <laughs> well, I hope you're going to be doing one particularly for your wedding. It's going to be your Absolutely. song. Absolutely. Good. Um, I've so enjoyed I- interviewing you. Your music, as I said, is awesome. The, the Just the instruments, the sounds you get from them, the, you know, the originality, the authenticity, um, the groove, the vibe, um, you know, the way you just kind of jump right in and make a person feel so good. Uh, your music is absolutely brilliant. I can't wait for the album to come out and uh, I wish you so well. Um, you've got your Facebook here, folks, too, on that Justin Johnson Live on Facebook. And, um, y- you know, th- it's been an honor, been an honor to interview you. Likewise, thanks for uh, having me, and I look forward to next time. Oh, yeah, I've got to have you back again. Um, <laughs> you know, once the album is out and down the road a little bit, I'd love to have you back on again. And uh, thank you. Thank you for being so real and putting out music that is uh, so fundamentally soul music. Uh, it speaks to the soul. It speaks to the heart and lifts the spirit. And it's it's music for my soul, that's for sure. So thank you so much. Thank you. Until next time, folks, remember, if you're ever feeling something in your life that you need an answer to, just put on music and you'll find it. I highly recommend that you listen to Justin Johnson's music. You'll get lost in it and you'll come out the other end feeling so good. So until next time, folks, bye for now. (laughs) 